This is Top Landing Gear. Welcome to Top Landing Gear, where we're turning the clock back to 1969, a hugely significant year for aviation and aerospace, with the first flights of Concorde and the 747 Jumbo Jet, and of course the first man on the moon. But it was also the year of the Daily Mail transatlantic air race, probably one of the last great aviation adventures. The race was between the top of the post office tower in London, now the BT Tower, and the top of the Empire State Building in New York in either direction, and involved all manner of transport for the land-based segments. There were 360 entries spanning 21 different categories, but the fastest crossing of all was achieved by an observer in a Royal Navy Phantom, and he is our very special guest. Lieutenant Commander Peter Goddard's story of the race and the preparations that went into it are something to behold. Peter will be coming up later after our usual features. Ask James Jez's quick facts all about the air race and, of course, the highlight of every episode, the Top Landing Gear Quiz. <laughs> oh, blimey. But first, a quick introduction to the team. You're moaning away in the background. There's Roy Stride, Pop Superstar, and our guiding light... Uh, James Cartner, our aviation expert and our man of flight. Jez Curling, agricultural fencer, whose quick facts are occasionally right. And me, Rob Curling. Wow, um, you've had some time hey, on your hey, hands. Right? Oh, man in tights. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man in tights. That okay, good. that's a better yeah, rhyme, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. But, gents, <laughs> lovely to be back with you. I think... I think we're still coming down from our amazing trip to Bomber County. Yes, we? we are. Wasn't that, that was fantastic? Amazing. You wanted to say a few thank yous. Well, I, I mean, I think everyone deserves a mention, but particularly to Emma at the Petwoods Hotel, who gave us such a warm and hospitable welcome uh, and let us drink beer in our room. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, our fabulous dinner in the Squadron Bar with all that Dan Buster's memorabilia. So that was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, and across everybody else who helped us. Yeah. yeah. The team at Coningsby, BBMF, um, Neil, Faz, it Carol, was, yeah. Series Tony, 3 is going to be amazing. We yeah. were in a typhoon, we're in the typhoon simulator, we're in the Lancaster as it was moving. We're talking to the guy who's doing the who's putting together the mosquito. Yes. We went gliding, which was incredible. Wasn't it? We were microlighting. We stayed at the Petwood. We got Scampton. We were sport rotten with our own display. Yeah, basically. we had our yes, own red arrows display. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was amazing. So, uh, and we've been boring. I have personally been boring my family oh, yeah. rigid about <laughs> it uh, with little snippets of of I'm my not time. To talk about it. That's <laughs> which they haven't found yeah, yeah. interesting whatsoever. Yeah. It was brilliant. It was totally brilliant. It was man. like a very genteel stag do, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, some of us finished our beers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not as young as you guys. Yeah. And Lincolnshire isn't completely flat. That's, we found some hills. We found a hill. Hills. One hill. Well, that one hill in the middle of the city, which we nearly yeah. all nearly died walking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was like all the hills in Lincolnshire put together. <laughs> yeah. It was brilliant. That's going to be amazing. The gliding it's... club. We've got to think the gliders yeah. and the guys mm. to come on the Valley. lights. Yeah. Mm. Trent Valley. It was brilliant. Yeah. Honestly. It's all amazing. coming. Series three. 
Absolutely. And we must also thank, as always, uh, everyone for listening and downloading Top Landing Gear. To our followers on social media, not least on Twitter, where we celebrated our 1,000th follower. So, as promised, a shout-out to AJ at Lynx Effect 815, who flies Wildcats for the Royal Navy. That's pretty Amazing. cool. Amazing. Cool. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he could be a guest. So, AJ, you, yeah, you, can be, you were our 1,000th follower. Although, when I tweeted at 999 followers that number 1,000 would get a mention on the pod. It immediately went down to 998. <laughs> a little bit of jiggery-pokery going on, I think. So, just to be fair, I'm also going to thank Shy Aviation in Sussex, who got us back to 999, and to Shandy Dave, not sure what's behind that name, uh, who came in at 1,001. 1, 1, Cleans a big, big car. If anyone's listening to us, do you remember that? This, this is just... Twitter statistics. It's, it, it's <laughs> the dullest podcast. All of well, a it was exciting for us. <laughs> it was. Um, I'd also like to mention Jonathan Day, who signed up to the podcast, having found, as he put it, his spiritual home with Top Landing Gear, because he's been many things, among them a soldier and an actor, but also a farmer, and he's got a fencing project coming up, so he's asking for some tips, Jez. <laughs> The new when Jay asked James becomes tedious and dull, <laughs> like episode two. Uh, it's asked Jez. Oh, it's a cracking idea. Great. Well, uh, happy to help. Yeah, yeah, there you are, Jonathan. Jez will will help you. His fencing's very good. I, I've sat on some of it. It's great. Thank you. Um, so before we get on to our main topic then for this episode, the 1969 Daily Mail transatlantic air race, it is time for our regular feature with a man who himself has crossed the Atlantic many times, but unfortunately always comes back. Mm. Just mean. Well, <laughs> no, we're glad you came back. It's James Carner and Ask James, your chance and ours to ask James anything about the world of aviation. Have you been anywhere interesting or historically well, relevant what, what or exotic recently, James, relevant by any to chance? Top Landing Gear. Oh, yeah. I have been to Malaya. Oh, hello. Um, I did a little trip out to uh, Kuala Lumpur. Oh, even more hello. And what amazed me was the statue, were the statues everywhere. Yeah. To uh, Rob Curley, <laughs> uh, presenter of Turnabout, <laughs> born in Malaya. You can't move around Kuala Lumpur. No. Every corner has a statue I of you know, on it. I've heard that. And it's, uh, they're so proud, <laughs> they will not shut up about it. You can get out of the hotel, isn't it? <laughs> Words allowed. Oh, I love it. Oh, bless you, Jimbo. Isn't it a special place? Special place. Yeah. No, it was lovely atmosphere. I just wish we could have gone a bit further than one block from the hotel. Yeah, that... <laughs> which was our restriction because of some um, pandemic or other. Yeah, that that's a great shame. So, James, what questions have flooded in for James? I mean, we we have uh, there are still a backlog of questions, uh, but keep them coming. We do it. We mainly do. backlog. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yeah, someone. Uh, I, this is one I didn't even tell you about, uh, James. Oh, this is just a quick one from. Dan Mortimer, mm. following your chat on aircraft toilets <laughs> oh, and also yet. trying to catch Jim out about RAF stuff, I have a question for him. What aircraft is the only aircraft in the world which can refuel by both the probe and drogue system and the flying boom system? Blimey. Oh, my God. So I don't know, but at the moment, oh, I'm going to try and work this out. No. What, are, what are the different... What's so the Americans, Americans use probe, 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 oh, probe, probe and drogue, drogue. Yep. and we use a basket with a... Yeah, um, a stick. Uh, <laughs> that's a never changed. That's very, that's, that's that's very even, British. Yeah. So the Americans yeah, basically the, the 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 tanker itself drives the the boom into the aircraft that it's and it's into a, a rigid a hole in the boom. Aircraft and it's rigid. Yeah. Whereas the, the UK system is to have this 
dangling basket yeah. where you then around. try and yes. probe. Yeah, I think we get that image, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I often spoke it. Which one can do both? It's going to be so. It's going to be Anglo-American. So, is this the tanker or the, does he the, does he supply the answer? Yes, he does. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. the tanker <laughs> he's looking for, or the the aircraft that's taking on the fuel. It's the. Uh, it would be. <laughs> it, would, it would be the one. I'm going to guess. Doing the I'm going to guess. This is an outside, a C-17 tanker. No, it's the Boeing Sentry. The Sentry. Oh, oh really? Oh, James, is the first ever time you've been. Yeah, been flummoxed. Uh, uh, he's, flummoxed. He's, he's done yeah. me. Yeah, and that's the that's only the RAF Sentry. The other mm-hmm. variants can't do this. Yeah. Oh, really? More importantly, on the subjects of toilets. Yeah. Oh. The Sentry. <laughs> Has two. <laughs> a chemical toilet and a urinal, although this isn't used as it dumps over the side and is quite close to the flight engineer's seat, which is awkward. <laughs> also, it has six bunk beds and a double oven galley. Sounds like you're perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure a double oven's quite enough, but it's better than nothing. So, Dan Mortimer, that was an awesome well question. Done, Dan. Yeah, Dan, yeah, there's got to be some sort of scouting for girls. We are going to do. We are going to do Thomas a prize for the best question when we mm. have the Ask James yeah. special. Okay. Uh, let's, let's move on. Bruce Nicholson, who's been listening for a long time, has been a big supporter of the podcast. Bless mm-hmm. you, Bruce. Dear excellent top landing gear oh, team. Even more bless you, Bruce. Uh, James just mentioned he was talking about uh, the summer catch-up episode. James just mentioned how much he was looking forward to being in the simulator at work for two days. <laughs> Smiley face. Smiley face. <laughs> As most people outside the profession, and even more inside the profession, don't actually know what happens in the simulator <laughs> for two days every six months. Perhaps in an Ask James session, you could ask, uh, you could all ask him how much he enjoyed it, what's it all about, what he actually did for two four-hour sessions with two others in the wobbly box on stilts, <laughs> <laughs> what went well, and what he'd prefer to forget. Best wishes, and please keep it coming, Bruce Nicholson. Oh, thank you, Bruce. Your instructor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this... this this, this is someone who knows too much, is all I was going to say. Oh, lovely. Um, the wobbly box on stilts is, it, it, when you first sort of start in the airlines, going in the sim, is, it seems like the most exciting thing. And when you're not, it's not your job. Um, no. It is, it's the most exciting thing, because you're, you're flying an airplane that's not a real airplane, but it's you can do all sorts of stuff that you can't do in the real thing, and it can test you, and, it's brilliant, and, it, and it is so exciting. Then you start realising that every six months you have to go into this box and you can lose your license if you mess it up. <laughs> so it starts to have a bit of jeopardy about it. Um, and some people react to that very well. Some people you know, get quite stressed out by it. But it, it's just a, uh, every six months, pilots have to do a, a license this proficiency check. This is commercial pilots. Commercial pilots do a license proficiency check where, or an operational proficiency check, and they, they alternate, um, where you, just, you go in and you, are, you just prove that you can operate the aircraft safely, that you can deal with a number of emergencies. Um, one one of the, the, the scenarios you'll play, it'll be as if you were just on a normal flight. Um, you'll do all the pre-flight checks, take off, talk to air traffic, um, and then something will go wrong, and then you have to deal with that, go through the whole the decision-making processes, the checklists, all the actions, and then fly it back to a, to a sensible conclusion, hopefully leading in a, in a safe landing. <laughs> Uh, and then after that, then they'll then start repositioning and say, okay, now we need to practice a landing, an auto land. We need to practice in fog. We now need to practice um, an engine failure at the worst possible moment on takeoff, see how, how you deal with that. And the one thing that is, is, is great about it all is when you do come out of that box, shivering, sweating, <laughs> <laughs> no longer able to see the hands in front of your face. Um, but you are actually confident that you can do 
pretty much whatever the aircraft can throw at you, you, you can come out of that and uh, and deal with it in the real world. So it, it, it's it's necessary. It's great. It, it's good that we do it, but there's always jeopardy involved. That, um, That's interesting. So if you if you mucked it up yeah. and crashed it, yeah. you lose your license. Not, not, it's not as black and white as that, yeah. but then you, you then go on a path where yeah. they'll try and say, okay, let's retake that a bit. A path let's... out of the airline. <laughs> 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 and that's what everyone's worried about. <laughs> so you then say, okay, well, let's redo that bit again. And then you, you redo that bit. Okay, so now you've done that, you've learned yeah. something, that that's fine. Or, okay, you've still got some issues with that. Let's give you some extra training. So you'll, you'll then get a trainer come. And if after you know, being hit over the head with, with the books six mm. or seven times, there's still no improvement. Mm. They might then say, okay, we now have to look at where, we, where we're going with this. So it's very, it's, it's unlikely, but... Okay. You know, we, we haven't got much more time, but how, what were your issues? Do you want to start listing them? Well, around? the taking off and the landing were the hard, the two bits I wasn't so good at. And, and the, the bit in the middle. <laughs> so if, if I think back to my favourite airline uh, film... Airplane. Mm -hmm. any, any issues that they might recreate there from the? Oh, we have to go on instruments a lot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lovely! When the crew on instruments, we're often. Uh, it's just um, playing. Yeah, no, um, it's airplane's brilliant. I mean, the airplane is the standard training material for all. <laughs> <laughs> all but actually, James, I've got to watch think, it again. I think we touched this, uh, on this in one of our earliest ever podcasts, which was that simulator flight training is now becoming more and more part of the training system yeah, I mean, rather than the actual we, we, we'll, we'll probably discuss this in a future episode, but one of the things we got out of um, our trip to, to see the uh, typhoon at Coningsby was that they are getting rid of all the two-seaters. Yes, that's right. And so guys are going, they'll, they'll do their flying training on the Hawk, then they'll go to the typhoon simulator, and the first time they fly a real typhoon, they're on their own. Bloody easy though, isn't it? I landed it. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wouldn't say it's easy. <laughs> uh, no, it, uh, but yeah, that, that, that's how. That's where we're getting with simulation yeah. these days, and that's not even a motion sim. You know, no, those sims don't even move. What no. kind of emotion but, are you feeling? Sadness that I, <laughs> I wasn't good enough to fly one. <laughs> yeah, they 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 were they're sort of scrapping the uh, the ones on stilts, aren't they? Mm. We had a little well, look. The, for the for the for the typhoon. They, they they're yeah. getting the. Enough of the, the, the sensation, yeah, yeah. Um, just by the visuals because they've got such good visuals and the, the visuals were amazing. I felt yeah. sick. We were, yeah, yeah. we were yeah. literally just, holding on to stuff, yeah. and nothing was moving I know. apart from us. It was very, very strange. But yeah, brilliant. so more of that when we, when we talk about the uh, our visit to Coningsby. But um, yeah. yeah, so the simulators are are getting to such a, a good. I think you always do know at the back of your mind you're in a simulator. Yes, of course. I mean, do you think you can they can't totally? No, they replace can't. and replicate. They can't, and and, and the real thing. You know, there are. I don't like to bring on the um, the Sully film as pure fact. Yeah, but there are things, for example, where if you give a telecrew, you're going to be right at the end of it. Yes, you'll probably come up with a completely different uh, set of set, set of decision made. Yes, decisions made than if you are actually there in jeopardy yourself, yeah. and you're heading towards. The only place you can land it is a river, for example. Yeah. So you can never recreate that in a simulator because at the back of your mind, you always know I'm in the sim. Mm. Um, but you do get immersed in it. The training is always immersed. Good. Mm. Like that. Training is always going to be like that, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Whatever. I mean, that is but training. Can't do of, so much. Of training. But the idea of it is that everything is in the right place. Everything looks the same. So you you start getting this muscle memory for how you how you should act mm. when certain things go wrong and. That that's when it all goes wrong in the airplane for real. You're you're ready to do exactly that. Mm. Is it airline dependent or is it a CAA thing? Where uh, it's, it's every six months. 
It's a CAA thing. Yeah. Um, there are airlines do take slightly different um, ways of doing it, but within every year you have to do a certain amount of sims. Yeah, and normally you have to do what we call an operator's proficiency check and a license proficiency check. Right. The license one is the CAA one. The other one is the operator. Some people combine that into a one big annual check, um, and and they make a sort of a bigger deal out of it, where they think there's more training benefit from doing a, a longer. Right. time in the sim yeah. but every year um but most airlines at the moment still do a six monthly thing do you have sims for helicopters yep yeah there's a big um uh there's the m shatfa which is the um <laughs> mission simulator something up at benson which has when i left it it had Four. It was in pieces. Just <laughs> <laughs> might have been. <laughs> when, I, when I left it. I think, I think it's broken, mate. <laughs> I didn't fine. touch anything. It just, oh, it just came off, off in my hand. Yeah. They had eight simulators. <laughs> <laughs> had four Chinooks, two Merlins and two Pumas. Oh, Chinooks are good old things. But you yeah, could have a flown Chinook. I've, no, I've never flown one. Why would I want to do that? Well, I know you don't want to. I don't have, have I don't have issues with weight. <laughs> well, up now, uh, we? no, but the, but the the beauty of this was you could actually fly a package where all the simulators were you could see each other on the, on the screens, and you could do a mission together, um, all controlled by a, a master control room. Well, they had that on the Typhoon Sim, didn't they? Yeah, I think they were similar. They could yeah. you could go off in pairs and, and everything. Yeah, so mm. it's that. I mean, back then that was quite advanced. It's probably yeah. it's no you can do it on your your Commodore sixty four or your. <laughs> Your Apple um, laptop now, but yeah, it's um, simulation. Simulation is, is is getting really rather good. Yeah, brilliant, wonderful. I'll tell you one thing. Actually, we've we have done, and Jez, you played a big part in was that flight of the British Airways seven four seven into Dunsfold. Oh yes, oh yes, ago. wasn't that yes. amazing? And your yeah. video went viral. I think you were the. The only one I've seen, you you got mm. fantastic yeah. position. What can I say? At the mm. end of the runway, it was extraordinary because I was, I, well, I probably can't say too much, but I kind of knew that it was happening. And mm. then, then for various yeah, other reasons, I've done a bit of fencing at Dunsfold. Have you? <laughs> Nothing to do with that. No, no, no. There's a thing from the pub and the guy you know. I know. You know one of those things. All right. But then it all went, having sworn myself to secrecy, yeah, uh, via other people. It all went completely viral on on the internet and yeah. and. Um, Everybody found out, so I was going to just sort of slip down and have a have a gander at this thing coming in, <laughs> only to be met by about a thousand other people parked along the side of the road. <laughs> yes. So it also found out, and I managed to sort of insert myself into a, the edge of the A two eight one at the end of the runway on the, at Dunsfold, and um, in she came. It was absolutely brilliant, and she uh, it did a it did a, a go around yeah. uh, with some nice engine howl. Yeah, and um, then she came again. It was brilliant. It was a lovely sunny day. It was fantastic, actually. It was absolutely brilliant. It and there were people done. pulling up on the road, going, "What's going on?" And looking out, pointing. Bloody <laughs> 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 hell! <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it was really, really good fun. And I'm, I'm so chuffed. I made the effort to go down mm. um, and and actually. Well, so is everyone else because uh, ten thousand over ten thousand views, I think, on the on Twitter. Oh, well mm. done! It's lovely uh, when a lorry just sort of got in the way of your <laughs> slight <laughs> panic. But, but <laughs> It's, you know the lorry's coming and you can always hear something go, oh bloody hell and then this <laughs> lorry comes disaster <laughs> yeah yeah. Do there's you... quite a few people who when it did actually pull up 50 metres down the road there were people scattering yeah. in all directions and then the traffic stopped and, and it was great your, yeah. your contact um, 
a future you, guest, I hope. Right, and I hope for future guest, so we must be careful what we say. We don't want to um, alienate him. But is there a suggestion that Dunsfold... It's due to be developed, isn't it? Massive housing development. Mm. But if they're flying in a brand, you know, a, a new exhibit or whatever, they're going to use it as a filming prop, aren't they? That doesn't look to me much like an airfield that's about to close down. Well, I think um, there's a delay on on the housing, from what I understand. Johnny Good. Uh, so so maybe some of the locals, I'm one of them, is quite <laughs> happy about that. Uh, Wings and Wheels isn't coming back, so that's, no. that's not going to happen. Yeah. But the aircraft that are there... Um, uh, the two 747s. Will they will, keep the old one? I think for the time being, but I'm sure, you know, they bought this new uh, uh, 400 yeah. to, to sort of uh, be a bit more up to date. Yeah. And that will be used for filming. And there, there, you know, there is a, there is still, there are still businesses down there. Yeah. I think the, the dear old VC 10 is maybe set to depart. Yes. To America. Uh, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, you know, there will, there will still be, eventually nothing will fly in or out and that 747 is not going to fly out again. No. It's it's there and it's, but, uh, you know, I think in the press we've seen quite a few of these 747 suddenly seem to have found life outside yeah. of a scrappy. There's that one at Kemble, isn't there, that's yeah. going to be preserved, that's in the, in the BOC in the Negus. Yeah. Oh, and the, and the one, the BOC colours. There's a couple is at St. Athens. And the Negus one is is at uh, Kemble. I, I really hope they save the Landor one. I just think that's a beautiful colour scheme. Yeah. But as long as there are seven four sevens, I would be great if they could keep one flying. But it's, oh, I don't know. Is it like costs these days are just you know you need oh a... money 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so boring. So yeah. send your pound into top bounding <laughs> We will keep we'll a, we'll pass it on. <laughs> yeah. My my favourite moment of that day was on the Country Boys Curry Club, which was a WhatsApp group which we're all part of. Speak for yourself. Some well, oh, yeah. Rob's not part of. Yeah. Uh, some no, of which. Jez had put his video of the 747. There are, there are lots of people here who don't care about planes. And <laughs> what? Drew replied, Jez, I'm going to have to bleep this out. But Go on. Jez, you should come to mine for an afternoon barbie. You're literally <laughs> dry with how many of those <laughs> things with Cartner at the wheel probably fly directly <laughs> over my house every hour. <laughs> yawn, 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 dime a dozen. <laughs> what Jez, a, then what a Jez then replied, oh. one, killjoy. Two, Bar humbug. Three, this was its last flight. Four, there are no BA747s left flying, so you won't see any more of them. Six, you missed that. <laughs> missed out. Missed out five. Oh, that should be seven. No. Where's six? Six, yeah. nice. you have no soul. Seven, four, seven. Eight, oh. I'd, eight, I'd love to come for a barbie at yours. Nine, how are you? Oh, <laughs> genius, bro. Thank you very well much. done. So we can't count. Well, <laughs> it was a, well done. Yeah. Oh, well done. No, what, what a great day that was. Jez. I think it's time for your your uh, Daily Mail air race quick facts. Right. So seeing as it's an air race, on your marks, get set. <laughs> Go. Snore. Okay, right. Well, we're starting a while ago. In 1913, the Daily Mail put up a 10K prize for the aviator who, sh who shall first cross the Atlantic in an aeroplane in flight from any point in the USA, Canada or Newfoundland, any point in Great Britain or Ireland, in 72 continuous hours. Nothing happened because there was a war. But in 1919, Captain John Alcock and Lieutenant, Lieutenant Arthur Witten Brown uh, made the crossing in the modified World War I open cockpit of Vickers Vimy biplane bomber. 50 years later, in May 1969, to commemorate their pioneering heroism, the Daily Mail launched the great transatlantic air race and invited the world to participate. 
Now, the race was held between the 4th and the 11th of May 1969, and although named an air race, it was actually a race of individuals between the Post Office Tower in London to the Empire State Building in New York, and could be raced in both directions as many times as you wished. Each individual participant or runner had to use some form of air transport. With a number of different categories, a total of 21 prizes could be won. And the total prize pot uh, put up by the Daily Mail was uh, £60,000, and that's about 850k today, so it's quite a sizable amount. Um, the race was notable as much for its modes of transport as it was for the individuals who participated. Uh, civilian competitors included the niece of Sir John Alcock, uh, 18-year-old Anne Alcock, uh, Sterling Moss, uh, Olympic long jump gold medalist Mary Rand, Clement Freud, Is she, Sir... Was she going to jump it? <laughs> I think she tried. <laughs> don't, don't put him off his stride. Yeah. He really I've, struggles with I've it. I've managed so to do this without making that many yeah. uh, fluff so far. But I have got to turn the page in a minute. So, um, uh, Clement Freud, yeah. uh, circus impresario Billy Butlin, and Prince Michael of Kent, who I'm not sure actually is a private individual, but anyway, he did it. <laughs> many private individuals also took part, totaling some 390 competitors. Oh, Although I said probably. 360, yeah. so 390. Uh, the military was also very well represented by the RAF, Army and Royal Navy. Aircraft to take part included the VC-10, with multiple civilian and military entries. The brand new Harrier jump jet was a massive attraction. Uh, there was an RAF Victor, uh, and I've seen the footage of that, it looks amazing, taking off from Wisley. Numerous civilian light aircraft and commercial aircraft as well, including scheduled and specially chartered flights. And alongside the aircraft, motorbikes, sports cars, helicopters and speedboats all mo helped make the connections between airfields and the post office tower and Empire State Building. Air traffic control on both sides of the Atlantic also got into the spirit of the race, giving priority departure and rival slots to some of the competing aircraft. Well, I'm not sure they were really supposed to, but, you know, this was 1960s, yeah, so things were different the then. Brilliant. Yeah. Recording the quickest overall time of any of the competitors were the Royal Navy Phantoms of 892 Squadron, the fastest of which was navigated by our very own Lieutenant Commander Peter Goddard, mm -hmm. our special guest, on a New York to London leg in 5 hours and 11 minutes, and that's door to door, so not just the flight. Tower to tower. Tower to tower. <clears throat> Uh, the fastest London to New York leg was made by a Harrier, piloted by squadron leader Tom Lecky Thompson in 6 hours 11 minutes. Uh, his arrival in New York was something of a showstopper, uh, as no one had really ever seen a Harrier before. Um, there were many failed attempts in the race, but many successes too. And given the world renown of the British aircraft industry at the time, this was a fabulous shop window for British aviation. Um, and how superb would it be if that could still happen today? It's never going to happen again, but it would be absolutely brilliant because I think it's a fantastic event. Well done, Jez. You well done for getting into that nutshell because it's quite that was, complicated. That was isn't amazing. It? That was Surprisingly quick facts. Yeah. Your best quick facts. Yeah, yeah thank you. I think, really like, uh, I think I've, I'm getting there. I'm getting mm. the hang of it. Well, done. fantastic. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was one of those things that. It, it's kind of boys' own comic stuff, isn't it? Mm. Uh, that yeah. you wouldn't. We won't see again. It should be an eagle with cutaways. <laughs> but before you thing. before you mentioned it uh, during series one, yeah. to me, and there is this incredible <clears throat> film on YouTube where the links is going to be up on all our socials. Yes, uh, which is just an absolutely fabulous mm. piece of twenty five minute piece of footage. It's brilliant, of isn't what it? What goes on? Uh, I'd I'd never heard of it, no, and no, me and it was just 
I, I don't understand why. But as I say, you know, I think you said earlier they should make a film of this. Yeah, this would make we a feature make a film. film. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> top line production. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's it's just it, it. But again, it was so much of its time. But it encapsulates everything that was adventurous. It was yes. new. Yes. It was exciting. It, it was making do. aviation just. The show, as you say, the showcase for the world. Yeah, and uh, it would have been lovely to. to uh, and some it. of the ground-based elements of it were mm. just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. they like things out of you know sort of comedy films that you think, well, that would never happen. Mm. Well, they did. Yeah. They were yeah. just people, people got you know got quite competitive because because I said one of the one of the competitors was Clement Freud. He noticed <laughs> yes. that one one of the one of the military. Um, uh, entrance had used a uh, one form of transport to get from. Uh, I think it, I, I think it was a VC10. I can't remember which aircraft it was. Yeah, it was a ten squadron VC10 flew out of Wisley. Right, and it, they 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 got a sports car to the Empire State Building, mm -hmm. but the sports car wasn't available the next day for the return leg, which was still part of the. Yes, uh, they were doing it two ways. They were doing it two ways. I'm not quite sure. And uh, they had to get a motorbike back, and and <laughs> he was he was a bit sort of miffed about this because he was doing his own entry, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, sort of dobbed them in, and they got disqualified. But then because <laughs> they'd yeah. used a different mode really? transport, yeah, that was, wasn't it wasn't in their original schedule. And in fact, they recorded the quickest time yeah. for the. Um, for a civilian entry, yeah, I got disqualified. Uh, and, and disqualified. <laughs> it was, a, it was an, an army, uh, uh, an army sergeant, a female sergeant, I think. Yeah, from memory. But then uh, they got back, and they were sort of recognised. Rothman sponsored the the cigarette classic. Company. Yeah, so, uh, I mean that would never happen. Rothman's sponsored their their uh, category, mm. and in sort of recognition of this, because uh, they did actually do it, apart mm. from a you know tiny, yeah, you know. Sort of uh, dotting the i's and crossing the t's, breaking of the rules. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They actually, they actually said, "Well, listen, uh, we're going to present you with a trophy and some free uh, cigarettes, and, <laughs> and a, and a lifetime of <laughs> cancer sticks." And in fact, I think that trophy is, in fact, in the ton, the ten squadron bar, it's bound to be. Somewhere. We need to go there. Yeah, yeah. that's mm. another place we need to go. Yeah. So, so you know, it was brilliant. You know, <laughs> it was a little bit like. Um, a Monte Carlo or bust and the men, yeah. the men, the flying machine, all those sorts of it films was of the time. Totally loved. Absolutely. And, right. But for real. Yeah. 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 So amazing. Oh, it was brilliant. Well, should we go on to our guest this week then? Um, the very man who won the 1969 Daily Mail Transatlantic Air Race, Lieutenant Commander, latterly Captain Royal Navy, uh, Peter Goddard. Now, Peter was an observer with one of three Royal Navy Phantom crews that entered the race. And as the runner, he not only had to fly transatlantic in the Phantom, but he had to use all manner of other transport to get to and from the two towers. His Phantom, flown by Lieutenant Commander Brian Davis, the CO of 892 Squadron, crossed the Atlantic in a world record time of four hours, 46 minutes. And the whole story of how they did it is quite extraordinary. Peter's full interview will be available in our Full Flaps edition, but here's just a clip of him talking about... Peter's full interview will be available in our Full Flaps edition, but here's just a clip of him talking to us about his remarkable adventure. Peter, aside from the fact that obviously, you know, it's quite serious looking for refueling and all the sort of other stuff that goes with flying a supersonic jet. Was it enormous fun taking part in this 
race because it sounds like a proper boy's own story and if any one of us could have had that even a sniff of doing it or seeing it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we would have jumped at the chance it yeah. must have been enormous fun wasn't it 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 was it was a bit hair raising but it was great fun there was an awful lot of work in going on in the background yeah of all the planners at both ends um but to actually do it at the end of the day you know, we we finally flew a year after the first thoughts and it was good to bring it to fruition. Yeah. And you were so you were the person who basically clocked in yourself at the top of the or clocked out at the top of the Empire State Building. Then you can you explain your journey from the, the top yeah. of the Empire State Building to the, the top, to top a of the Empire State Building at eight o'clock in the morning. So that mm-hmm. was the Navy. I think the, the Air Force went later in the day because <laughs> they need to get so up having later. breakfast. <laughs> Uh, you clocked in at the top of the Empire State Building. You whipped down as quickly as you could, and there was some interesting dirty play on the lifts of people <laughs> trying to punch all the buttons. No. <laughs> get uh, out onto a motorbike uh, mm-hmm. and down to a helipad nearby. The American Navy uh, choppered us to the airfield, which was Floyd Bennett's Naval Air Station. And you literally parked at the end of the aircraft, at the, just behind the airplane, and there was a ramp to run up. Just was, it, jump sorry, in. was that in a Wessex? The airplane took off. Uh, then we did the three legs with a, a tanking at the end of each leg. The first leg was mainly subsonic with a bit of supersonic at the end. The second leg was all supersonic from Newfoundland. And then we got into the middle where you had to do about a 1,200 miles where you could only go subsonic the bulk of the Atlantic. And then once you joined up with the last tanker, it was let it all hang out because you go <laughs> as fast as you could until you get to within 30 miles of the UK coast. So we're doing Mark 1.6, something like that, up to the coast. And then you just drop the nose and you just kept just subsonic straight into Wisley Airport. Wow. And then again, you leapt out of the aeroplane. This is me. Mm-hmm. Uh, a helicopter was there. And it took us to a building site right next to the tower. And then the real tough bit, the 100 yards to get up to the top <laughs> of the tower. And then, and then, as I was told, don't forget to clock in, and I did. Yeah. And so somebody said, over here, over here. <laughs> <laughs> so I might have got 10 seconds fast if I'd been, if I'd been oh, Well, you still won by a mile. Yeah, what was the next? The, the, who came second? Um, Hugh Drake and Al Hickling came second. The first, the other first team, one of the yeah. other phantoms. first team did about five and a half hours, and then it was about five hours twenty, and we were five hours ten. So we knocked off ten minutes or so every right. trip. That's amazing, isn't it? Because of your three teams, the crew from the first team to have gone flew back out. Am I right? By scheduled airline yeah. to New York, as did the second to brief the second team. Yeah, and then the second team also flew back to New York to brief no, you. Oh, they didn't. No, only the first team flew back because okay. we hadn't got many people out there. Mm-hmm. The first team became the sort of runners and riders for the uh, the last team. It's amazing. Uh, did, did you kind of feel that going third? Although I know I think you were the, the weather was a bit touch and go. But did you feel that going third was actually the best leg to fly because? <laughs> You know, oh, we'd was... have won on any of the legs, but no. Oh, <laughs> this, is, this is fighting talk. I love it. <laughs> and and there's, there's one common theme with all our podcasts is what do you do for the loo? I mean, did oh. you um, did you manage to keep it all in for the for the journey, or were you uh, did you have to stop? No, quick? It, 
No difficulty there, James. The Navy can hang on to it for 12 hours. <laughs> oh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is brilliant. This is gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Peter Goddard there, and you'll be able to hear his full interview, unedited, in full flaps. What an absolute gem. It was, he was, he was a legend. He is an aviation legend, another one. <laughs> yes, and another. he really is. Um, and just the privilege to talk to him was brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. stunning. What a story. It's just incredible that he yes. did all that. 1969, when times were, allowed you to do those kind of adventurous Things I mean, yeah. just, just wonderful. That, that interviews us. The reason why we do this. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you're right, Roy. Really point, yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, we wouldn't have any excuse to contact these people. <laughs> Hello, I'm just ringing up because I just think <laughs> I've read your story. I just think you're great. Yeah. It did, uh, towards the end of that interview, it did get. I know it did. I was slightly embarrassed you're a myself. Bit <laughs> you, can, you, you can edit that out <laughs> if you like. No, no I don't I, think I'm. That's saying it. But I've been reading about this stuff since well before any of you were born. Yeah. Not your brother, not my brother, but anyway. Right. <laughs> so there we go. Well, look, I think, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen in this case, it's quiz time. Hooray. Hooray. No, I'm going to be positive about it, and there's enough rubbish Hooray. going on in the world. Let's be positive about it. Okay. Well, you okay. should always be positive. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> well done. The top landing gear quiz, all about the Daily Mail air race and sort of things connected to it. So let's hear the buzzers, and let's this week start with. James, what okay. have you brought along as your have, buzzer this week, I have choice two. Always. Oh, Always choice two. So oh. my, initial, my initial one was going to, because it's the Daily Mail Hours, yeah. my initial one was going to be this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that had no But then I decided to do what Lecky Thompson did. Yeah, hello. Go West. That's averagely amusing. I think that's better so than Kids that in America. Is my, um, Go West. Yes. Very, very good. Well done, Jim. We'll buy that. Jez. Well, I, uh, to be honest, I forgot to download oh, the buzzer until I was on the way here. I mean, the amount of time you've had to prepare for this. Yeah. So, <laughs> still reading Harry at 809. <laughs> 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 We're not even joking. For the first time. Have you finished Harry 809 yet? <laughs> no, I have not. But I'm really enjoying reading it. I'm making it last. Uh, this is what I've got. It was the Phantom of the Opera. Phantom. Phantom, Phantom of the Opera. Right. Okay. Good. Well, I mean, we had to wait a long time yeah. for that joke. The trouble well, is, I can't go back very easily, so I might just sing it. <laughs> <laughs> We'd rather you didn't. Okay. All right, Jazz, good. Yeah. I hope I hope that works. You're just uh, going to get bits of it. I can't keep going back. All right, Roy. So mine is from that amazing documentary, which I keep going back. This is a... Uh, uh, taken from what, a bit of the commentary, which features the Harrier in the background. Oh, yeah. A masterpiece of aeronautics. It's hard to doubt that one day soon, if the noise problem can be solved, you and I will take off like this from the hearts of our cities, while the long drab runways revert peacefully to grass. <laughs> so, so I mean, my actual buzzer is a masterpiece of aeronautics. Lovely. Yeah. I mean, buzzer, it's, it's more of a documentary, but anyway... Um, <laughs> It's all right, because he won't use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just, that's the only time we're going to hear it. That's right, they're, they're getting longer. Good. That As is. are the questions, yeah. just to warn you. Okay, ladies right. and gentlemen, are we ready to go? Well, yeah. yeah. Good luck. Here we go. With question one, the Daily Mail air race quiz. Question one. 
Peter Goddard's Phantom crossed the Atlantic in what was then a record time of 4 hours 46 minutes. But what is the fastest time ever flown between New York and London? And with what aircraft? It actually flew into the Farnborough Air Show in 1974. Yes, James. I'm going to say that the aircraft was a Blackbird. As discussed in the interview. And it was... Oh, I'm going to have a little bit of a go at two hours and five minutes. That's a great guess. Does anyone want to have um, a go? Well, might as well. well. Yeah, uh, go on there, Jess. I think it was a Blackbird. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm going to say two hours 45. Two hours 45. Roy, do you want to have a go? Uh, I'm not sure whether the Blackbird would have done it. No, it was the Blackbird. Okay, it was the Blackbird. I would say probably two two hours and... uh, No, three hours. Three hours. Yeah. Well, the answer, I'm afraid to have to tell you, it was indeed the SR-71 Blackbird in one hour, 55 minutes. James, you were 10 minutes out. You get... Just one point. Just w- what? <laughs> well, the Blackbird was made public during the interview with mm. Peter Goddard. We did, we did and, say and that, but well Rory done. Rory and I knew that. We exchanged looks. I mean, to yeah. be fair, the Aurora has probably done it in 96 <laughs> minutes. Are we not allowed to talk about the Aurora? <laughs> I'm going to be quiet. No, I'll be quiet. What's he talking Doesn't about? exist. <laughs> oh. What's the Aurora? Doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Can't talk about it. Inside... <laughs> Inside good. information. Well, well no done. That, that, that's very good. Um, now, Peter Goddard's winning total time between the two towers was five hours and 11 minutes. But what do you think was the slowest time in the race? <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. Yes. I think I'm going to give you a bonus no, point. Just for having a buzzer. Buzzer. Yeah, it's on standby. I'm putting it. If, there's a, if there are any queries, if there's anything debatable, Gerald, will get a bonus a, I'm not going to ask the question. I'm <laughs> just going to take the point. Okay, point away then. <laughs> no, uh, it was one of the privateers, 26 hours and 25 minutes. 26 hours, 25 minutes. I'm going to throw this open. Closest, closest gets the point. Roy, would you like I to I thought it was 17 hours. 17 hours for the slowest. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Jimbo? What was Jez's answer? Uh, 26 hours, 25. 26 hours, 26. (laughs) 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 James gets the point. (laughs) Uh, And this is how close he was. It was actually 144 hours, 51 minutes, 32 seconds. That's just over six days. So almost the entire Time duration of the week that the air race ran. I didn't it, read that stat. <laughs> no, you didn't read that stat. It was by a Baltimore travel agent called Cooper Walker. And um, he started off on a horse, which could explain it. <laughs> this is an air race. At yeah. The, at well, the top it, of the air. No, top. I think it, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, it did. It took, it took three days to get out of the stairs. stairs. <laughs> <laughs> and he was trying he was trying to get to the original takeoff point of the of all cotton brown's vimy by horse but the weather precluded him from doing that he also How did much a, weather does a horse suffer with what almost in newfoundland from <laughs> from new york it's about, the weather, it's about the four days horsing walk, horse walk <laughs> all right go on. or whatever yeah um a hot air balloon oh my word. um a 1919 vintage american car 
and a Jenny Curtis, a Curtis Jenny biplane. He then took an Aer Lingus flight from Boston to Shannon. That's what slowed him down. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's done it, isn't it? And then he went and visited Alcock and Brown's landing site in, in Ireland, in Clifton. And I'm not sure how he got to England, but he took another hot air balloon flight. He rowed along part of the Thames. <laughs> what a... And then a 1919 Rolls Royce to the post office. Yeah, that's class. I'm afraid well, I mean, that's that class. is absolute class, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but it's not the answer I gave, so I'm no. irritated by it. <laughs> yeah, well, James is closest. He was only God's 120 sake. odd hours out. So six days would have done. Did I get a point for my extraordinary? Yeah, you, you might. You might. That might be your only point. So it's there, <laughs> it's in a bracket. Mm. Question number three. As part of the Royal Navy's winning effort, Lieutenant John Dines was selected as the Wessex pilot to deliver and collect the runner, in other words, Peter Goddard, to and from the post office tower and Wisley, where the Phantoms were operating from. But what specialist experience had he built up in the Wessex that made him an obvious choice for this role and during which conflict? Oh, I've this as well. <laughs> Yes, Jim. I right. believe you might have flown in the Malayan emergency. <laughs> <laughs> well, James, I'm going to take a point off. No! <laughs> because as you know by now, the Malayan emergency was 1948 to 1960. The Wessex didn't come into the service until 61. But it's a lovely call. It's a lovely idea. Bless you for going there. You might restore that point, but I'm going to have to throw it open. I've read this. No, you never remember these I facts that you read. I can't remember anything. I can only read half a paragraph of a book before I fall asleep. I can't remember anything. Remember, I'll give you a bit of clue. It yeah. required landing in a very tight space on that building site in central London, which is right next to the post office tower. So James was a helicopter pilot. That's what helicopter pilots do every day. Yeah, but he, so he, he was a qualified helicopter pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, don't spoil the question. Uh, Roy, any thoughts? Had he rescued some... Something Not like necessarily. Well, he may have done. It, it, it could be that. It's more the sort of geographical landscape that he was going in and out. It operated in Malayan jungle. James, I'm going to have to give you a point. It, oh, he oper me. It was during the Indonesia-Malaysia <laughs> confrontation operating in and out of the jungle in Borneo, part of which is in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. So, James, you get the point. Gents, you know by now there is always a Malay question. Yeah, but I didn't think it was that one. <laughs> was it going to be the next Can one? I tell you how long oh God, it I took to find that? I mean, that was that was murder trying to get that one. <laughs> so I'm actually going to give myself a point <laughs> for coming up with the question. So just at this stage, I'll tell you that James has got two points. That's including the minus one. He won one back. Jez has got a point in brackets. Roy hasn't even got anything in brackets or anywhere else. So Roy, you need to come back okay. with a strong finish here. Question number four. When the Daily Mail air race was announced in 1968, the Harrier had yet to enter service with the RAF and was only just undergoing acceptance testing. And very few RAF pilots were actually qualified to fly the Harrier at the time. How many? Which version is that? Who is that singing? I don't know. Is it Michael Crawford? No, it's eight years old. Okay. Um, yes, Jez. Quite a deep voice for an eight-year-old. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a school production. Let's <laughs> just slow it down. Uh, How many pilots were qualified to fly the Harrier at the time of the air race? Twelve. Twelve is your answer. Yeah. Closest get. Yes, Roy. Eleven. <laughs> Closest gets it. James. Thirteen. <laughs> You've gone the wrong way. You've gone the wrong way. It's Jez. Just... Jez gets the point. It's twelve. It's three. I said 11. 
Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <He did laughs> Roy gets the point. Yeah. Sorry, oh, Roy. You do get the point. Yeah. I beg your pardon. It was three. It was three. I was going to say three. I think that's ridiculous. Oh, but you didn't, did you? No. And in fact, one of them got injured. So it, originally, the, the, the pilots who were going to take part in the Eris, <laughs> two of those three were going to be Tom Leckie Thompson, of course, and Mike Adams. But Mike Adams badly injured his back during a taxiing accident here at Dunsfold when the nose gear of his Harrier sheared off. Ooh. So Graham Williams, future podcast guest, got the gig. Wow. So, nice. yeah, they, they lost... A third of their Harrier pilots before These the race. These are just lucky dips. There's no skill involved. Well, there never is. What do you... Except when I answer. What do you fact. mean? This is this exactly is why fact. Turnabout's not on the TV anymore. <laughs> oh, <wow>. I know. <laughs> I didn't set the questions on Turnabout, nor did I understand them. <laughs> or the scoring system, uh, which I struggle with here slightly, but let's just update the scores. Roy is now on one full point. James on two. Jez has that point that's still in brackets. So I'm no doubt it'll be taken away. Well, we've got a decider. <laughs> And it's a yeah. film question. A decider. Do you mean all other bets are off? So this is a winning question. It's the last question. Last goal wins. Yeah. In the film, Those Magnificent Men in the Flying Machines, there is a fly past at the very end of the film by some RAF jets. What jets were they? Hunters. You've got a buzz. I can't. The Phantom. <laughs> uh, Jez? The, uh, the Hunters. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> uh, Roy. Uh, lightnings. Yes, they oh, were lightnings! No. They were lightnings! Told you, I was only joking about never seeing that film. <laughs> Roy, you've won! It's just extraordinary. Oh, it's the worst quiz ever. Amazing. What do you miss the chaos. worst quiz? The <laughs> quiz is great. It's the contestants who are rubbish. Number Wang is slightly better Number than Wang, which is based on Turnabout, apparently. Yeah. I'm told... Yeah. yeah. So there were. So let's just recap on those points. James are two. Jez with one and one in brackets. Oh, Roy's a winner so with editing. three points. Good luck with the on editing. A film he's never watched. Yeah. Well, there you are. Brilliant. But he worked it out. What could they have possibly been? They were lightnings in 1910, but they were. So there we are. Yeah. The English electric lightning. Fabulous. Well done, everyone. Love you all. Thanks. If you're still listening, what's wrong with you? For goodness sake, go to bed. Um, well done, everybody. And don't forget, you'll be able to hear our full-length interview with Peter Goddard in Full Flaps, which drops a week after this episode first airs. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might be there right now. And we'll also have an Air Race bonus episode with Rolf Richardson, the pilot of a BOAC VC-10, which carried one of the other 21 winning entries. It's another crazy story, not least about how they got from Heathrow to the post office tower. Again antics that could never be done today so keep your eyes on our social media channels to find out when that becomes available and coming up in future episodes we'll have yet another competitor from the daily mail air race he was one of the two ref harrier pilots but he'll be telling us more about his life as a cold war jet pilot and he's flown everything from tiger moths to lightnings and practically any aircraft you'd care to mention at the time of the air race he was squadron leader graham williams but subsequently became air vice marshal so we must gents beyond best behaviour when we speak to Graham. Remember also, you can still listen to our earlier podcasts with aviation authors Roland White and Dilip Sarka, and with our heroic 747 pilot David Williams, as well as all our episodes from Series 1. Do let us know anything, or anyone, you'd like us to feature as well. We'll try and make that happen. And remember, you can keep in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Top Landing Year. And do email us with your comments and questions for our expert, James Cartner. That's info at toplandingyear.com, info at toplandingyear.com, two Gs. And however you're listening to us, 
please recommend us and the quiz to your Why friends and you family. No, do give them a go. See if they can bear it <laughs> and leave a review. But only if you've enjoyed it. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. And if you are still listening, well done. Bye for now.